Hi there, and welcome to Talking Commodities, the podcast series where leaders in commodities trading, procurement, risk management, and sourcing come to share truly actionable insights based on real-world experiences with the biggest global companies. Talking Commodities is brought to you by the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. The first center of its kind, offering educational programs and research focused on commodities, taught by experienced industry experts. Go to business.ucdenver.edu slash commodities to find out more. And Chai, a London technology business who help companies secure more margins, stable prices, and better outcomes. Chai has developed an intuitive web application that provides users with crucial insights and commodities price predictions made by applying artificial intelligence to all of the data that matters, from satellite imagery to freight data. To get access to Chai, go to chaipredict.com. That's C-H-A-I predict.com. Now, over to Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer of Chai, and Tom Brady, Executive Director of the JPMCC, for this week's episode. Good afternoon, and welcome to another podcast edition of Talking Commodities. And today, we are very pleased to be joined by Sven Streetmeyer, who is currently the Director of Risk Management and Trading at Bosch. Sven has also been responsible for commodities research, analysis, and internal price forecasting at Bosch. And he has spent over 12 years in the commodity space, both within the industry and in the banking sector. Prior to his current role, Sven also worked as a commodity strategist and portfolio manager for Landis Bank Baden-Württemberg. Sven, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, and you're very welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Steve and, and Jake as well. No problem. Yes, and for the, for our listeners who are normally used to having myself and Tom on this, actually Tom is travelling today, so we have Jake stepping in as a guest panellist. Uh, Jake, you're very welcome. Thanks, Steve. Great to chat today. Good. So, we always start off these podcasts with just talking about a little bit about background and a little bit of expertise from yourself. So, Sven, you've been involved in the markets for quite a while. Could you just give us a sort of background to your story? How did you get into the industry in the first place? Yeah, sure. As you already, you, you had some some couple of words on it already. So, but in the meantime, it's I think my record is already 15 years in the commodity space now. It yeah, more or less all began with my diploma thesis at the university, which I wrote on, on the topic of commodities as an asset class. Um, and that was the time when the industrialization of China just really gets get, got going and uh, commodity prices were booming in, in the years 2005 and 2006. And, and the investors and the investor community really got some interest in commodities again. So that was the time that, that really lured me into the space. So um, I started my professional career within a bank as a yeah as a commodity research analyst and, and a portfolio manager. And after a couple of years, I guess it was five or six years, I, I received the offer to to join the corporate world, to join Bosch as a commodity risk manager. I, I'm still today. So my team and I we are in charge of of the global commodity risk management activities there, um, which. First and foremost, um, this includes the development and the execution of our financial hedging strategy to cover our, our price risks coming from the procurement of exchange-traded commodities. 
So yeah, that's that's where all began and where I'm uh, yeah in, in speaking today. Good. Okay. Look, thank you for that intro. And you know, Bosch is a is a household name. It's a huge company. Are there any sort of key defining areas or experiences that you think have been pivotal in getting to your career that are notable for our listeners? Well, if I think of, of single events, which were the most disruptive one, um, that for sure was the global financial crisis in, in 2007 and 2008, culminating in the default of Lehman. There were a couple of deep finding lessons learned out of that. Um, I would say the first one, don't take anything for granted, even if it's the global financial system itself, uh, yeah, which obviously was, was on the edge of collapsing. Second, I would say um, the price reaction at the time really impressively showed to me as a rookie and at that time how interconnected markets are today across all regions, across all asset classes, even if there is no obvious uh, or direct link um, at all, if I think of commodities and, and some financial markets. And the third lesson I, I took with me was um, never lose your humble attitude towards the market. I would say human memory tends to be short-lived and imagination, especially of, of black swan events like that, is very limited. So I think really nobody would have um, anticipated before that copper, for example, can, can lose two-thirds of its value within, I don't know, it was, I think, seven or eight months just to recover by 90 or 100% in the following six months. That was really, if I think of singly, when's the most uh, impressive and, and yeah, learnable uh, moments. Okay, good. Yeah, no, you make, you, you make some very valid points there. So just going back to where it sort of began and, you know, you, you talk about doing your thesis in commodities as an asset class. Do you have a background in commodities or where did this specific interest in commodities come from? I think that was really coming from from a theoretical uh, standpoint uh, in in yeah in university to learn about that during during your your thesis and and to um, yeah really discover the world of commodities which is I think highly interesting it it is a niche market probably but it's also at the same time in my view a market which has one of the most connections to other things. If you think of geopolitics, if you think of naturals, yeah, things like earthquakes, financial market interconnections, of course, supply and demand dynamics, politics, ethics. So um, the interconnections are huge. And, and that's yeah. the, the most compelling things, in my view, uh, in, in the commodity markets. It's really, really interesting to hear, Sven. And actually, it uh, takes me back when I was at university doing war studies, specifically focusing on grand strategy. We used to say that it was all about trying to secure this state of prosperity and, and kind of focused around countries' core vital interests. And that was always quite an abstract idea to me. But actually, talking about kind of commodities specifically, it makes it very real, I think, um, which is a very interesting thing. Changing tack a little bit. Sven, what are the ideas or technologies that you're really excited about right now with regard to the commodity space or, you know, CPRM more specifically? I think in a broader context, clearly the path to the green economy, which has to be named, named first, the decarbonization of the global industry and also the reduction of our private CO2 footprints is probably one of the biggest challenges at the moment. And at the same time, one of the most far-reaching disruptions. So in terms of specific commodity market, 
um, effects or implications. There are so many channels and also so many technologies affected. And each one of it is very hard to predict at this time. If you look at the additional demand for commodities, for example, there will be huge amounts of additional copper, nickel, cobalt um, stimulated by, by the green revolution. Copper, for example, there's way more copper needed per unit of power produced. In the case of wind power, the estimates are somewhere around nine times higher versus conventional fossil energy. In case of solar power, the factor lies somewhere around 30. Um, and at the same time, the production of commodities which are needed for the green revolution is itself heavily carbon intensive. So if you think of aluminum, which is very important for all lightweight applications in the transport sector, today you have a very high CO2 footprint of, of LE, as the smelting process process needs a lot of energy, and uh, more than 60% worldwide is coal-based. So it's not only green demand for metals, but at the same time, it's a demand for green metals as well. That's just one aspect of it. And alongside, you have a lot of developments with respect to transparency within the supply chain, for example. Simply put, where does all the metals processed within the end user product come from? From the iPhone to the mine to be uh, yeah, quite, quite easy. And that's, that could be a perfect example for the use of blockchain technology to, to enhance uh, traceability um, in, in the future. And I think there are already some, some first steps in that direction within uh, the gold industry, for example. So yeah, they're very interesting times, and I think that's one of the most exciting topics which uh, lies ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. We've been, you know, having a lot of conversations recently where people are talking about some more obscure commodities like balsa wood used in the uh, in the wind turbines, you know, with the blades, and things like graphene replacing uh, battery materials as well. And then taking to your point there is thinking about things like. Uh, some of the artisanal mines for cobalt out in, you know, the DRC, where obviously, like you said, you know, being able to apply blockchain to this kind of uh, application, it's a really compelling business case, actually, which I think is so important for a business like Bosch that has such uh, a strong brand globally, you know, and has to be kind of seen in the right way. That's really interesting. And actually, just on this, staying on the topic of ESG and the kind of green commodities, how is this changing the organization uh, at Bosch? What's the kind of material effect that you're seeing? You know, how are you guys trying to uh, really adopt this and, and kind of drive this part of the agenda? I think that's a very, um, a very complex topic in general. And um, you, have, you have multiple aspects on it. First of all, um, there is, um, if I think of, of my company, of Bosch, there's an intrinsic motivation to do that, to um, have social standards, environmental standards, not just beginning now or yeah, a week ago, but for the longer. Bosch was one of the first companies in Germany to, to commit to a zero uh, CO2 um, target um, in the next couple of years. And in, in terms of ESG, there are very, some very concrete measures on it as well. So um, we demand from our suppliers, from our physical suppliers, to, to get transparency on their supply chain as well, um, to get back to the um, impression of from the mine to the product. Our customers demand it from, from ourselves. And I think in the next step, I think we're not already there, but I think in the next step, it will be the end user, the one who is buying the power tool or um, the car to demand some transparency and, and traceability. 
I think at the moment um, that the private sector uh, is more focused on on daily daily aspects like where is my my meat coming from or my vegetable not really it's if you look at digital uh, things items but I think that will evolve over time and that will really demand a lot of effort which is still to go because of course supply chains are very complex today and we have many 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 steps um yeah from really from the from the commodity to to the end product and i think it's just the beginning of the development and and the measures regulation is getting stricter as well i think that pushes a lot it speeds the process up and i think also that's that's right and the other thing is like i said it's the intrinsic motivations of the corporations to to do that and to really commit to that target as well that's a really, really interesting answer, Sven. And, you know, again, you must be kind of very proud to be associated with an organization that's taken such a, a positive step in this sense. You know, the first organization, do you say, in Germany to, to kind of really drive some of these measures? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, we really do. How do hedge funds use artificial intelligence to generate hundreds of millions from trading iron ore, nickel, and crude oil? Learn answers to commodity questions like this with experts from the forefront of research and industry at the J.P. Morgan Center for Commodities at the CU Denver Business School. Join us on Wednesday, July 21st for an online information session on academic courses, non-degree certificates, and professional education offerings. You can also visit our website at business.ucdenver.edu backslash commodities for more information. So just taking a kind of slight different tack now for a second, Sven, how do you keep on top of the markets? You know, obviously there's so much happening, so many moving parts. And obviously for a business like Bosch, there are so many different commodities you've got exposure to. So how do you, how do, you do this on a day-to-day basis? Do you have any tips for folk who are looking to develop their understanding of the idiosyncrasies of the commodities markets and kind of stay on top of all this data? I would, I would start over with a very old school approach of talk, talk, talk. <laughs> As involve as many different sides of the market as, as possible. If I think of my daily business, I'm, I'm talking with, yeah, my own colleagues in, in the purchasing departments, for example, to see what's the flow of the different commodities getting in the company to get a sense of the demand. Our, our company is, I would say, as it's quite broad based, it, it could be at least a little bit representative for, for the industrial demand as a whole. So um, to get a sense of that, I talk within the company, I talk with our suppliers, I talk with commodity traders, with banks, with regulators. So um, I think that's probably the first uh, basic thing you can do to stay on top of the markets. Uh, second thing, and, and that's uh, our connection to Tom, who, who can't be with us today, unfortunately, is to try to stay um, state of the art um, regarding academic research. Um, and, and academic flows of the side of the commodity side. Um, there are many many studies on correlations going on, on uh, new technologies going on, and to stay on top of that, it, it makes fully sense to still have a little connection to to the university sectors as well. Yeah, I think that's used a wide range of information sources we have today um, in in a structured manner. I think so you don't get overwhelmed with it. And actually, Sven, that just sort of nicely brings me on to my next question because, uh, you know, we've talked about how the markets have evolved and the information flows and stuff. 
specifically talking about like commodity price risk managers and obviously you've you know you've been a strategist you've worked as a portfolio manager at banks and stuff over time you know do you feel as though it's changed as in the levels of information and the tools are available now Com- you know compare that to when you started how has that evolved i think it has evolved a lot especially within on, on the corporate side i would say um because commodity exposure and commodity price risk um, has been handled for for a long time as a niche thing. Every every corporation had a department uh, caring about interest rate risk, for example, or ethics risk. But it took quite a, quite a while, and it took um, quite a couple of commodity price booms to get companies really aware of yeah of the price risk coming from from the procurement of commodities, um, because. You never have to forget that volatility is um, normally way bigger than in, in any other market, perhaps besides the stock market. But um, if you compare FX and interest rate rate movements to, to commodities, the swings are more wild, of course. And that makes the sense um, way more important to, to have a professional commodity risk management. And, and that's a really good point. And again, it sort of goes back to what you said earlier about you know never make an assumption about anything particularly in commodities as you highlight it's such a volatile market so you know are there any sort of repeated mistakes or pitfalls that you've noticed that you know risk management people have made who are new to the markets that that make and and you know are there any things that you would do differently that new people starting out in the business tend to make recurring mistakes about that's a tough one uh, steve I think it's it's very commonplace the answer, but I think the most the most common issue is you underestimate the market and 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 the swings and um, also the the short time frames um, where markets are completely reversing and things like that. Mostly you tend to stick at the spot price. If you forecast, you look at the spot price and the range around the spot price is is quite narrow. Probably a human, uh, a human thing to be like that. But I think that's yeah, probably the the, the most common, the, the most common issue. And Sven, just to kind of stay on this a little bit, in some ways, I guess, what in your eyes sets apart a kind of best in class hedging program? Are there any you know specific uh, characteristics that you've noticed from you know other organizations or from your own organization in this sense? I would name. Clear and committed goals in the first instance, a common understanding within your organization, which um, is not fully there everywhere, I would say, because commodity markets are quite different to other markets. So you have to be uh, aware of that. A structured approach of research and, and trading as well. And of course, a functioning uh, process landscape and also, of course, a state of the art software or digital setup as well that would be uh, the thing coming to my mind at the moment brilliant that's interesting so it's kind of integrated not just the technology and tools and data but also the right processes and the kind of sponsorship i guess internally as well exactly and the understanding of the full picture of the price risk coming in uh, in the yep. co- into the company uh, from the from the procurement side mm-hmm flowing through your own production process to the sell side, how is 
or how are my products being sold to the customer? And of course, the other thing is the financial or the derivative contracts you have in your hedging or in your treasury department. So you have to get all that together to, to one picture. And uh, yeah, I think that can be challenging, but I think it's necessary to have really a best-in-class hedging program. So Sven, what we tend to do at the sort of tail end of these podcasts is uh, because we've got quite a lot of sort of younger people starting out in their career and students listening in. So we always ask our guests for some sort of advice or, or anything that you can pass on. So the questions here are, if you could talk again to yourself as a 19 year old about your career up to now, what would you bring up? You know, what would advice would you give yourself starting over again? In general terms, of course, um, and that's probably not a wonder, I would say, um, keep on your curiosity, stay hands-on in your approach and stick to a yeah, broad-based set of interests. That's the general answer. In particular, if I look at, at the commodities, what do I miss out in my career? Which chance wasn't there to take for me was um, get experience in the physical world as well. I think that's the, the the perfect the perfect candidate has has all he has financial markets uh, experience, but also because commodity markets are in the first instance physical markets, he has been around I don't know a mine a trader get some sense on how does this long lead times in, in the supply is coming from how is the demand working. So um, that would be the, the perfect candidate. Of course, you uh, will never have a guy like that. But um, if, if you have the chance, stick your nose in as many different areas of, of the commodity market as possible. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. And actually, that sort of covers, because one of my questions will be, what will be the traits that you look for? And, and obviously, you covered that. So that's great. Um, when it comes to interviewing, what, what are you looking for during the interview process? So when you're interviewing for new hires, what are you focusing on, really? I think there are a lot of parallels on, on your question before. Um, as a person, I would look for exactly the traits I mentioned, so the curiosity and and, yeah. and, yeah, and the broad-based interest. And besides that, I'm really a big fan of, of having mixed teams uh, heterogeneous teams. If I look at, at our team at the moment, for example, we have uh, one guy from, from uh, South America um, having yeah. mastered in, in engineering at the copper manufacturer or copper smelter. I have one guy in, in our team who uh, has a treasury and a purchasing uh, history in um, aluminum products. So it's always... Uh, a good mixture, and, and that's really what what is uh, adding value to to the team's decisions at the end of the day. That's really interesting, Sven. Really, really interesting to hear. And it sounds like you've you've kind of managed to bring in some diverse perspectives from folk as well. I mean, in a different context, diversity is a very topical issue right now. I don't know if you've got any comments or thoughts around diversity. You know, diversity and inclusion in the workforce, in the workplace at all? I think that, that really goes in the, in the same direction. Diversity always uh, brings uh, added value to all in, yeah, in, in the perspective you approach problems or, or issues um, in, in the solution process as well. 
And yeah, I think uh, luckily our company is very diversified from the beginning. We have 400,000 employees all around the world. Our founder in, in the 1800s already uh, had things like diversity in, in his mind, even if it wasn't called, called like that at that time. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit in the in the DNA of our company. So, um, lucky me. <laughs> sure. um, I am sort of conscious of time and we are annoyingly running out because this has been really, really interesting. I do have one other question for you, though. Um, and it sort of relates to, you know, you've got a lot of practical experience. Uh, however, as you said, you also keep a heavy interest in the academic side of the commodity space and obviously with your relationship with JPMCC. For any of the students that are listening, are there any sort of specific learning skills or courses that you think would be really beneficial for somebody who's trying to start out in the commodities uh, space? I think that must be the, the market analysis part, because I think that's courses very seldom uh, used or attended with regards to the commodity markets due to the niche nature of of the topic. So that would probably that I would be looking for that one if if I was uh, if I would be a student again, research and analysis on on the commodity markets, how to figure out and how to structure models on on supply dynamic demand dynamics, for example. On, on yeah correlation and, and correlation developments that could be a good a good one as well yeah doing the math type of thing okay good unfortunately that is where we're going to have to leave it for today uh, Sven it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today I found it really interesting and we'll touch base again really soon so thank you very much for your time today I appreciate it and yeah thanks for having me and have a good day to to in London. Cheers, thanks. So that's it for today. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to come on the show as a future guest and you think you've got something contrarian to say, please do get in touch. My email address is jake at chipredict.com. Today's show was written and co-hosted by Stephen Butler and Tom Brady. Special thanks to Erica Hyman of the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at UC Denver and Maria Valentina who produced the podcast. Thanks very much. See you next time.